us to just um, have peace over being able to glorify you, not be fearful, not be scared, and just love on others the way you love us. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Irene. I was thinking I could just throw this away and you could just keep coming and sharing. And Anytime. Everyone would be happy, actually. Um, really good to be with you, Nathan Lambert. You are here. Good to see. Um, really good to be physically with you at Tumby. For those who haven't met me, my name's Andrew. I'm usually down at Bensville. Um, but Jeff and I um, wanted to do a bit of a swap so we could actually spend some time with the other Coast Community Congregation, which is really cool. Um, I, I think I was with you last week on a screen, but screens are not as good as in the flesh, so as Miriam told me this morning. So that, that's a good thing. Um, I have not physically, well, I'm up here every week for, for a meeting, but I haven't physically been with you on a Sunday for quite a while, and things have changed. Um, where is he? Kieran's got shoes on. Um, so, like, I'm going, what's going on? have not seen that for a long time. But here we are. So um, we are continuing in our John series. We are continuing in this passage. We're into chapter 16. If you've been following along with us, and I hope you have, um, whether on our podcast or whether here on a Sunday or whether on our YouTube channel, um, we're really getting into the meat where if you've got one of those Bibles with the red writing, there's heaps of red writing at the moment. Uh, so we're really pushing into what Jesus is saying. Um, and it's some key stuff. Do you know that this week, um, many Christian communities around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, will be celebrating on Thursday um, the ascension of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus. When we read the Gospels, actually into Acts, in the very beginning of um, chapter 1 of Acts, it tells us, Luke says, you know, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, spent 40 days walking around preaching about the kingdom of God. And after those 40 days, he ascended. So 39 days after Easter Sunday is this coming Thursday. Many people will celebrate the ascension. And then a week and a half after that, many of our Christian brothers and sisters will celebrate Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And it just so happens that in today's passage, Jesus is talking about his ascension. So it's pretty timely that even in this season, we are pushing into a passage that um, makes sense chronologically. So here we are today. I'm not going to have anything on the screen for you. So I'm encouraging you to pull out an actual Bible if you brought one. Pull out your phone that has the Bible on it and there's a few passages that we will be drawing attention to. We're going to start in John 16 starting in verse 5. John 16 starting in verse 5. It says this, this is Jesus talking. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. 
verse 12. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. All right, so that's today's passage. And I just want to dig into a couple of things out of this. Right at the beginning, verse 5, Jesus is saying, none of you are asking where I'm going. He's saying that he's going away. And there's this sense that the disciples were actually too concerned about themselves. That they had given up their whole livelihood to spend this three years following this rabbi Jesus and now he's saying he was going away. This was not going to be a whole of life thing. And they're concerned about, what does that mean for me? Where does that leave me? What do I do with that? And so they're not pushing into what Jesus is saying. They're self-focused at this point. And I wonder how often we just get so consumed with our own circumstances that we fail to stop and ask the question, God, what are you doing here? What are you up to here? What's going on? What do I need to see? What do I need to learn? What do I need to notice? And we get preoccupied with what's going on for us. Very easy to do. Um, I think we're all the same in that boat. But I I just saw that there's a little snapshot there. We can learn from the disciples in this regard. When stuff's going on around us, maybe the best question to ask is, God, what are you doing here? What do I need to learn here? What do I need to see here? Because most of our learning, I reckon, when we think about it, comes from the hard times, doesn't it? It comes from when things are going, uh, are difficult. And that's when we push into God. Anyway, just something to, to notice there. Um, Jesus wanted to make it really clear that it's important for the disciples that he goes back to the Father. Remember, he's talking to the disciples here. It's important for them that he goes back to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit would come. And why does Jesus say he's going to do this? Why is the Holy Spirit coming a good thing? Well, he says the Holy Spirit's going to do three key things. I'm going to read from the message translation, just verses 8 to 11. So, when he comes, that's he being the Holy Spirit, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness and judgment. So, sin, righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's going to shine a light on those things. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. And that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. Holy Spirit, three key things. First of all, He'll convict the world of its sin. And the biggest sin is that you do not believe in Jesus. Remember, John wrote this gospel, so that you would believe. And the word believe has just been happening over and over and over and over again as we've gone through. And so the the biggest sin, right even back into John 3, 16, 17, 18, that Jesus says here, the sin is that you will not believe. And so that's what the Holy Spirit will shine a light on, unbelief. Um, The Holy Spirit will shine a light on God's righteousness, not 
notice it doesn't say your unrighteousness. It shines a light on God's righteousness. What is righteousness? Great question. Glad you asked it. It's this quality, this quality of being right in the eyes of God, right in relationship with God. It takes into account the things like our character and our attitude and our actions and our words. Righteousness is based on who God is, not on our misgivings and our faults. So the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, will, bring, will shine a light on the righteousness of God. And guess what? As we read the story through Scripture, we share in the same righteousness as Jesus, the same right relationship that Jesus has with the Father. We share in that. What a great thing that is. And then the Holy Spirit will shine a light on the coming judgment. And Jesus makes it clear this is the judgment of the prince of the world, Satan, and the judgment over sin and death that they have been defeated and overcome. That's also good news for us. Now, I could go further into this, but Jeff, when he's speaking this same message on this same passage this morning at Bensville, which will be on YouTube and on our podcast, he's going to really, really dig into this. So can I encourage you to check that out later today, this week sometime. So I'm going to park that because I know Jeff will do an awesome job on that and I'm going to continue in to a couple of other things. So I want to look at the claim that Jesus makes which is a claim that I have read many, many times in my Christian walk and it pulls me up every time. When Jesus says, in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come and if I do go away, I'll send him to you. Jesus told his followers many, many times that he is going to go away and send the Holy Spirit. We've read it in John chapter 14. We've read it in John chapter 15. We're reading it in John chapter 16. We read it in Luke 24. We read it in Acts 1. He was pretty clear that when I go away, I'm going back to the Father and I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And in essence, the disciples' reply today is, forget the Spirit, we want you to stick around. And I was thinking about that and I'm thinking, I would have thought the same thing. If I've just spent three years with this Jesus guy and witnessed the things that he's done and the things that he's said and the way he lives life, I would have wanted him to stick around. In fact, I'll go as far to say, I reckon most of us would seriously consider giving up our life with the Holy Spirit for some quality time with the person Jesus Christ. I reckon if that was presented to us as an option, I reckon most of us would go, you know what, spending a week with the risen Jesus living in my house? Yeah, I'd give up the Holy Spirit for that. How cool would that be? But we've got to trust Jesus at his word. He's saying, hey, for you followers, you people who are following me, it's best for you that I go because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So I reckon there's two things we need to take note here. The first thing we notice is that Jesus could physically be in only one place at one time. When Jesus walked this earth, he was limited, just like you and I, to a physical body. He could not be with everyone all the time and he was in a specific geographic location at a specific time, just like how you and I live. 
But through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he can and he is in more than one place at a time. Because we are told really clearly the Spirit is in you. So when we disperse this room and we all go to our individual homes, just this group of people, Christ is in many different places this afternoon because we will be in many different places. And then let's multiply that out to the potentially billions of people who are followers of Jesus today. And Jesus is now present all over the place. Now, we struggle with that a bit because it's not Jesus physically present, but it's Jesus' character and nature and essence. It's his spirit. It's who he is in you and I that we carry with us wherever we go. Instead of one Jesus Christ, when we get to the book of Acts and we get into chapter 1 and we go and we read that there was 120 of them gathered in the upper room and then Pentecost hits, the Holy Spirit's given to them, we now have 120 little Christs. Do you know what the word Christian means? Little Christs. And so we had 120 little Christs. And then they start, Peter spoke, and then 3,000 little Christs were running around the place. And then those 3,000 started spreading out, and we get today potentially over a couple of billion little Christs running around the world. It's a pretty cool picture. If Jesus did not go and send the Holy Spirit and he stayed, because he was in a risen body, a body that was not going to decay and wear out and, and fall apart and die, he could have still done his journey. And now with air travel, he would be getting all over the place, which is pretty cool, but it would still just be one Jesus. It's better for you that I go away, because when I do, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. See the brilliance of his plan? He's going, if we're going to infect the world with this goodness and righteousness and beauty and grace and love and forgiveness, it's, it's got to be like this virus spreading. And we know a little bit about that these days. That all we have to do is be in contact with one another and this thing can spread and catch and transfer. And that's the picture we've seen over the last 2,000 years of the church. See, the disciples had different roles as the early church was growing. And Jesus would be with each one of them through his spirit. The advancement of the kingdom, the advancement of the reality of God's kingdom was now not through just the one, but through the many. It is an ingenious plan. And it's not enough for us just to be with Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is that he shapes us and transforms us to become like Jesus. So we are little Christs in training, but we are little Christs learning to be and manifest and express the character and nature of Jesus wherever he places us. See, Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh. And just as Jesus had a body, a physical body, so he could speak and act and move and minister and heal and comfort and teach, as he did all that, the Holy Spirit, when, was, when it was sent, needs a body as well. And the Holy Spirit will operate out of a body. And the body that we read is called the church. The body of Christ, the church. 
And this imagery of a body is right through New Testament writing. Paul got it. Paul talks about it in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4, this image of the body, that when all these different parts get put together, it operates like a body. And it's something you and I are invited into. The second thing we know, so the first thing we notice is that that the Holy Spirit needs a body and it's a body that's made up of many, many of us. The second thing we notice is the name given to the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on what translation you opened up when you read along, when I read that passage and in the translation I read, it said... um, It's best that you would go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Now, not every translation uses the word advocate. So, across a bunch of translations, you might be reading, this is the name for the Holy Spirit, the helper, the guide, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the friend, the counsellor, the strengthener, the standby. And we've got all these images of what the Holy Spirit might be like and then when we go back to the original writing when it was written in Greek the word that's used is paraclete and now the word paraclete is translated into many of those English words Uh, many scholars would argue that the best English translation for the Greek word paraclete is the alongsider the alongsider Just imagine that for a sec. Jesus saying, I'm going to go away. Now, I've physically been with you. I've been walking with you, journeying with you, camping with you. And I'm going to send the one who will be alongside you. It nearly sounds like a like-for-like exchange. I've been alongside you as we've journeyed for three years, and I'm going to send the Spirit who will be alongside you. And so with that in mind, these images that we get of discipleship, of apprenticeship to Jesus, being with Jesus, just look at a a physical um, apprenticeship model. You've got an electrician who takes on an apprentice and what does he do or she do with that apprentice? They don't put them in an office and leave them on their own. They don't give them some work to do and sit them in the car. They have them alongside so they can watch and learn and practice and try and fail and get it right and practice again and learn a new skill and understand how that skill relates to this new skill and the apprentice by being alongside learns how to do the things that the master craftsman can already do so what are we learning from Jesus we're learning how to live life We're learning how to live with God and others. We're learning how to live with God, others and our environment. We're learning how to be missionaries in his world as we take the kingdom of God with us. Now, the other image that we get in scripture of this alongsidedness is another agricultural picture that um, I love how Jesus uses things that just anyone could have understood. And it's the picture of the yoke. The picture of two oxen, for want of a better term, who have this wooden beam across their shoulders that connects them, this yoke, and 
there's this picture that when you are yoked to, or when an animal is yoked to another animal, there's two types there. You've got one who is the bigger, stronger, obedient beast who knows how to obey the commands of the owner and you've got the younger, smaller, inexperienced trainee beast who is yoked to the bigger one. And as they do the work together, the older, more mature one is obedient to the commands of the owner and knows how to do the work and the younger one, just because they're strapped in next to them and can't escape, start to learn how to do that themselves. And then as time goes by, that younger one learns how to do it all and that becomes the dominant beast and it then gets yoked to a younger one. It's just this picture of discipleship in the animal kingdom. It's a beautiful picture. So with this idea of the yoke, that was the physical picture of the yoke. But in Jesus' day, the leaders of the Jewish religion, it was said that they would put a yoke on the people who were trying to be in this relationship with God. And so the law that was given by Moses that the Jewish people were following was controlled essentially by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They were the ones who interpreted it. They were the ones who enforced it. They were the ones who made you obey it. Okay, And, and there was this idea that the religious leaders would put a yoke on the people. All these rules, we know there were 613 commandments that they had to follow, but then the Pharisees would take some of those 613 commandments and flesh them out even more. So one of the commandments was that you cannot harvest on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees would go, okay, you cannot harvest on the Sabbath, so we're going to make all these other rules that you have to follow to make sure you don't harvest on the Sabbath. And one of them was, you can't even walk through a field that's ripe with grain because if you actually knock some of the grain off, that's harvesting and that's breaking the law. And so they would come up with all these other rules and it was like they were putting a yoke on the people that was just too heavy to bear. It was hard. I remember being in Jerusalem um, a couple of years, oh, six years ago now, and we were um, in Jerusalem staying in a hotel on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to work if you're an Orthodox Jewish person. And so what they have, um, there was two lifts and one was a Sabbath lift and one was a normal lift. So in the Sabbath lift, on the Sabbath day, they would switch this button so the lift automatically stopped at every single floor. All the lights were on. If you walked in, all the lights were lit up on the panel of floors because as a Jewish person, for you to go in and push a button that brings the light on, that's working and you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And so, one lift would be the Sabbath lift, one lift would operate normally and so as a non-Jewish person who would come back to the hotel, you've got a bunch of Jewish people just hanging around waiting for you to step into the lift and then they would swarm into the lift and ask you to push the button for them. Because if they were on the 24th floor, they didn't want to get in the one that stopped on every single floor. And it happened. Like, the three days we were there, it happened. Well, it happened the one day because it was the Sabbath. But um, you, you go in and you just get swarmed by all these people. Oh, can you push floor 20, please? Can you push? And it was this, this yoke that was on them that we, we can't do these things that, that are going to make God unhappy. So with that in mind, there's a passage 
out of Matthew's Gospel that you're probably familiar with. It's Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. And Jesus says this, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You're probably familiar with that. But in the context of what was happening at the time, could you imagine how mind-blowing that would have been to hear Jesus say those words? In the context of the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the law that they're all trying to keep, Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, who later on is going to send the alongsider to help you do this, is saying, hey, there's another way to do life with God and with one another that's not onerous and it's not religious and it's not rules-based and it's not hard work. In another translation, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and, you'll will, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation. How good is that? And so here is the complete picture of the genius of Jesus' plan to go back to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. It's best, if you go, it's best for you if I go away because when I do, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, the alongsider, and then you will always have me right there with you, just like being yoked to me. Jesus confirms this with the final thing he says before he ascends. You're probably familiar with this passage out of the end of Matthew's Gospel. We call it the Great Commission. And there's a part of it I think we often overlook. So Jesus is just about to ascend into heaven. He's about to go back to the Father. He's promised the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. There's that yoked picture again because when those beasts of burden are yoked together the older one is making a, a disciple of the younger one and it's that picture make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit baptizing immersing them in the very life that i have modeled to you immerse them in the very life that the holy spirit is going to provide for you and teach these new disciples to obey the commands i've given you and this is the bit I think we often neglect. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so he can do what he's promised, that I will be with you always. And not only will I be with you, I'll be that alongsider who will help teach you and guide you and instruct you to be the kind of person I've designed you to be, to live the kind of life I've designed you to live, to be my ambassador and representative into the world, 
to be that little Christ that I've called you to be. And it really is a cool picture, isn't it? It is best for us that Jesus went away and sent the Holy Spirit. So as I've pushed into this even more, I think for the first time in my life, I can honestly say, if I had that choice now of a week with the risen Jesus instead of a life with the Holy Spirit, I'll go, thank you, Jesus, I'll catch you another time. I want the Spirit. I want the Spirit in my life. I want to be transformed by the Spirit. I want to be engaged with the Spirit to step in to do whatever he's called me to do. And I hope that's where you're sitting too. Let me pray for us. So, Father, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the fact that you know what's best for us even when we don't. And you have said that it's best for us to be spending a life with the Holy Spirit. So I thank you for that. And my prayer for us is that we would be the church, we would be a community of people who push into a life with the Spirit in a fresh way, who rely on the Spirit for guidance and wisdom, who allow the Spirit to shape us and prune us so we can be more like those little versions of Jesus that you see in us. And I pray that we can do that together. As iron sharpens iron, we can be people who encourage one another in living life in the Spirit so that together we would be the community of people who express your character and your nature for our world to see. And that's our prayer together. Amen. Okay. Thanks, guys. What a powerful message, hey? So some of the things that I just picked out of that, I was thinking about uh, being little Christ. You know, the, the picture of us walking around wherever we go, work, school, uni, shops, Christ goes with us, yeah, as little Christs. The other thing I thought, which is an amazing question to be asking, God, what are you doing here? What would you like us to see out of this situation? It's a great thought that, you know, especially when we get pressed by different things, life gets busy, God, what are you saying to us? What would you like me to see? And the last thing I was just thinking about is the Holy Spirit as the alongside you. What a refreshing thought that no matter where you go this week, no matter what you do, you are not alone. You're not by yourself. You don't have to um, build up the courage to do whatever it is that you need to do this week alone. You have the alongsider. Oh, Christ.